What's up, you freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty here with a little pre-podcast recording to let you know how this episode structure is going to work because it's not like anything we've done before. Some of you may know that I traveled to Riga, Switzerland over the weekend to attend the Baltic Honey Badger Conference uh, hosted by Hoddle Hoddle. It was an incredible conference, had an amazing time. There were some very, very intense discussions about Bitcoin, uh, especially revolving around the bug that was found last week. Uh, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Matt Corallo for the third time on this podcast to discuss that bug. Uh, So that's the first 15 minutes of this episode. And then the last half hour of the episode, I sat down with somebody who fascinates me in this space, Hasu Fly, uh, somebody that uh, got into Bitcoin only 10 months ago, but has since bootstrapped a knowledge uh, that is all-encompassing of the space. Certainly not uh, an expert, but the amount he has learned in a short amount of time is, is staggering, in my opinion. So I sat down with him to discuss how, how he caught up to, got caught up to speed with everything going on in Bitcoin and the over, overarching cryptocurrency landscape. And he, he really gives us some good insights on how he learns uh, and, and, and the processes he used to, to sort of come to the conclusion that Bitcoin is the most important important project in this space and, and how he is able to uh, sort of get to a level where he could create uh, incredible content. He's co-written a couple pieces with Nick Carter and Alexander Lagel. Uh, about how to value these cryptocurrencies and sort of the history of the narratives that have gone uh, on in Bitcoin in particular. Uh, So I think you guys are really going to enjoy the insights that Hasu provides when it comes to how to learn about Bitcoin and the mental models one should try to develop when trying to learn anything new, really. This could be applied to to, uh, subjects beyond Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So I hope you guys enjoy it. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by... Uh, honeyminer.com. If you're looking for an easy way to earn Bitcoin and you have some extra computers or extra GPUs laying around, I highly recommend you go to honeyminer.com, download their software, and you can turn those vacant computers into revenue streams. What you do with Honeyminer is you, you download their software under your computer, you start running it, and basically your computer starts mining a profitable uh, altcoin chains and basically they have a mining pool that uses all this computing power of all their users to mine altcoin chains and then immediately dump them to bitcoin and you get a little bitcoin in your account for commensurate with the amount of energy you are prov- you are providing to their pool so if you want to uh if you're sitting there at home with no bitcoin and you don't have enough to to buy any but you want to get in and sort of get some skin in the game, a good way to do that could be taking an extra computer and turning that on, downloading Honeyminer at honeyminer.com and 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 make put your computer to work, basically. Um, so please check out our friends at Honeyminer. Uh, I will put a ref- referral link in the, in the description of this episode. Um, again, I want to thank Honeyminer for sponsoring us. They are... Uh, they're an incredible product and a great way to get introduced to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, in particular, in my mind. Um, beyond that, I hope you guys enjoy the interviews with Matt and Hasil, and I uh, look forward to hearing the conversation around these episodes on Twitter. Peace and love.
That's the difference between me being drunk and stupidly tired. It's the same thing, right? Well, that's a good intro. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Fair enough. What's up, freaks? We're here in Riga. It's been a long weekend. Uh, long week, especially for uh, Matt, who I'm speaking with. Um, Matt. Hey. Hey, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, been an interesting week, stressful week, and then uh, came to Riga and been hanging out here, so I have to admit I have not had a whole lot of sleep in the last week or so. Yeah, yeah. I got a I got an early morning DM from you. I was surprised that you were even kicking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I <laughs> guess it is vaguely surprising. I got like four hours of sleep last night, maybe. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, enough that I'm not completely dead. That's... It's good to see you're still still standing. And good to see Bitcoin still standing. Let's yeah. jump into the bug, uh, CVE bug. Yep. Uh, initially disclosed that there was a denial of service uh, bug, uh, and later disclosed that with that denial of service bug, there was also an inflation uh, overflow. Yeah, yeah. So it was originally reported to us as a uh, denial of service, and the original report said, like, well, you know, Pretty sure there's no, or I think the original report said flat out there's no way to do inflation with this, uh, but there's a crash bug in terms of if you have a transaction that spends an input twice within the same transaction, uh, you could crash nodes uh, that are 0.14 through 0.16, and then 0.15 and 0.16, some of the earlier 0.16 versions, uh, also sometimes would accept the, depending on exactly how it was structured, sometimes would accept the transaction and allow you to um, create Bitcoin for yourself. Mm -hmm. Not ideal for not, uh, for a protocol that, no, that is trying to have a hard cap. No, not um, not really. You know, being able to print your own supply is not ideal. I mean, there's some altcoins that have had supply printing issues, and people were actively printing supply, and the, the price didn't go down. So yeah, it was very apparently the markets are kind of stupid. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, Bitcoin actually rose after this bug was disclosed. Yeah, well, you know, uh, the markets are trying to tell us that we need more bugs. <laughs> Gets us in the press. Well, let's talk about that. So. Uh, if anything, this incident proved that uh, obviously the software is not infallible. There's always yeah, going to be bugs humans. in software. Yeah. And um, so let's talk into that. Like, there's there's never going to be bug-free software, and this is something. No, that there's did. not. I mean, you know, the the this particular issue, I would not have guessed that we would have had this issue. Like, a lot of things went wrong for us to have this issue. Uh, 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 this issue caught a very specific hole in some of our test coverage. Like we had decent test coverage uh, in a lot of other parts kind of right around this. Um, the review process failed because it was an optimization that would have otherwise been correct. And uh, as of older versions of Bitcoin Core, uh, the optimization would have been completely fine. And so different patches interacted with each other negatively. So... You know, it's humans, and a lot of things went wrong for this particular bug, but, you know, there are also other classes of bugs that can have also very damaging impacts on uh, individual users of Bitcoin Core. Uh, so, yeah, there's never going to be bug-free software, and ultimately Bitcoin is still a human system. You know, if this had been exploited, uh, I think at least the vibe here is the community would have been pretty vocal about saying, like, now nah, we're just going to undo that we're going to do a big reorg would have been very painful incredibly painful and potentially some people would have uh, lost money if they were accepting payments um mm -hmm. and then it got reorged out but you know we would have survived that's happened before wouldn't it wouldn't be the first time now you know 
Bitcoin's grown up a lot since it happened. So you know, hopefully that doesn't ever happen again. But no, that's uh, yeah, it's another thing. Was it was it a 2010 bug, right, or 2013 was the overflow? Uh, uh, the overflow was 2010, 2010 or yeah. 2000. I have, yeah, oh nine or ten. It was before my time. Yeah. Um, but there was also the BDB locks bug, so mm-hmm. the 0.8 and 0.7 fork, mm-hmm. uh, where there was also a reorg, uh, or there, there was a chain split. So, you know, there was eventually a one side, one out. But that was, uh, you know, I don't, I'm going to get the year wrong if I try to guess, but that yeah. was, you know, slightly more recent. I think it was March 2013. Uh, yeah. I did a history of Bitcoin episode, so I know. I know ah, there you dates. go. Um, of it. No, it was fascinating. You got uh, you were just on a panel with uh, a couple other core devs, and then Eric Voskul from LibBitcoin. Uh, one thing Brian Bishop um, made everybody aware of is that there was there was a breakdown of the communication channels too, as well, which <laughs> yeah. is crazy. It's yeah, like, well, I mean, like, look, you know, we uh, we have you know the BitcoinCore.org website, we have mailing lists, we have a number of different communication channels, and most of them have not been structured to and have never really needed necessarily to be instant updating or like, you know, updating on a very short time frame. Uh, and so a few things went wrong in those areas. Uh, and so, you know, we had a little website glitch where the website didn't update for half an hour until someone fixed it. And then uh, the mailing list for some the, the provider, the Linux Foundation mailing lists that we use uh, we're just down when we were trying to disclose the uh, version, so we fell back to Twitter and the website. But yeah, you know these these things these things fall over, but it's all right. Yeah, um, no, it's a good lesson. It's definitely scary, definitely heavy, um, but it's a good reminder that that uh, this is something. It's not. It's not. It's not going to be the last bug. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I said on the panel, and I, I've been saying kind of this weekend, we. You know, we haven't had a chance to do full postmortems. Like, we haven't. Like, I still need to go back and reread the IRC logs from when that patch was merged because there was some discussion. Like, not all of the review for that patch happened on GitHub necessarily. There was probably some discussion on IRC of it and various other uh, communication channels potentially. So, you know, need to go go back, reread all of those, form a more full opinion of exactly what happened, and then try to think about, you know, what what exactly went wrong and how can we prevent that from going wrong in the future and how can we pivot uh, some contributors back towards better testing of some areas like this and more um, full test coverage and whatever. Um, so, you know, we're, we're going to turn this into something hopefully a little bit positive. Um, have, you know, we're going to figure out what we need to do to make sure that this class of bug doesn't happen again. Um, but yeah, there were some people saying that, uh, Bitcoin can't use the meme that it is sound money and has a hard cap now. Uh, what do you have to say to that? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, like what, what was the, the, the quote I just said, right? It was like, Bitcoin's a human system. Like yeah. ultimately it's consensus of humans. We try very, very hard to make sure that you can accept payments on a short non-human time scale. Right. But if something falls over, humans step in humans will resolve it in the direction of kind of the obvious direction. I mean, in a, in a bug like this, there's an obvious direction. There's one fork where people are printing money and there's one fork where people can't print money. People aren't going to like, I mean, it's just kind of absurd. Yeah. Nobody's going to go work on that inflation chain. 
Yeah, no one's going to be like, oh, yeah, this, this, this chain with inflation. That looks good. I'm going to use that for my money, you know? <laughs> I'm going to start uh, trading that one. Um, let's uh, only hold you for five more minutes. Let's shift to something more <laughs> optimistic. Uh, you want to talk about better hash for a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, we've talked, well, we've talked about this on this podcast before. Yeah, but, we did, I guess, two, well, the last episode that I was on, yeah, um, um talked a lot about that. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I've been trying to circle the wagons with various people who have interest in, uh, deploying it, whether in the pool end, but also on the actual mining end. Uh, so it's kind of a little bit of a chicken and egg problem. You have to get mm-hmm. both stood up and going at the same time. Uh, which is difficult, but there's a lot of interest. So there's a lot of people who, you know, have looked at it, have said like, this is really cool. The ability to have uh, actually decentralized mining, but still have the advantages of pools, like the consistent payout and the, the pooled payouts is really cool and would really like to deploy it. But it's a question of finding the technical resources to implement and start using something like that in spite of the fact that it's not going to make you more money, right? Yeah. It, it's profit neutral. It's not going to cost you more. There's maybe slight efficiencies here and there if you optimize it sufficiently, but it's a big lift to deploy something like that. Um, so it's slow moving, but I'm I'm optimistic. I'm as well. But uh, what I want to dive more into is that you think this is critical for Bitcoin's future. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. Well, you know, I don't know if better hash specifically is, but certainly hash rate decentralization mm-hmm. is very critical. Um, you know, Bitcoin. I I still say Bitcoin is an experiment. Yeah. Um, we. I, I think there was there was a a quote I had on my talk yesterday that people were uh, excited about on Twitter or sharing a lot on Twitter at least. Um, that was something to the effect of like, look. You know, we still don't know if we can construct a system that is actually censorship resistant. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of people, I would say maybe a majority of people who use Bitcoin, who maybe with the exception of some traders, uh, with the exception of just kind of the investment angle, most of the other use cases of Bitcoin are kind of enabled by censorship resistance at some level. And uh, to some extent, Bitcoin is censorship resistant today, but that's more of an artifact of community norms and... Uh, you know, regulators haven't caught up yet and whatever, but those things are temporary. You know, the next generation of Bitcoiners, next generation of regulators can take that away. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't have hash rate decentralization, I'm not very confident that this property holds in the long run. And I, you know, Bitcoin is still experimental in that sense. You know, some people are trying to do proof of stake. I think that's even worse from that angle. Um, capital is pretty freaking centralized. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, and I think hopefully better hash is one way that we can move the needle on that. You know, I'm, I am still pretty confident in, you know, the future of hash rate decentralization because hash rate itself is actually not as centralized. You know, people look at the pool graphs and yes, those are what matter today. Mm-hmm. But if we switch to something like better hash, well, all of a sudden those pool graphs, what really matters is the actual miners that make up the pool and not the pool. And that is actually reasonably decentralized today. You know, pools or individual farms, there are some massive individual farms, but they don't represent 25% of the network in one farm. That's what you're saying on the last time you were on is that there's economies at this scale in the mining, especially around energy. Like you can't, if you you want to get 300 megawatts, you just might not be able to find it in one place. Yeah, and cheap energy 
often comes in medium scales, not not going to show up somewhere and get 500 megawatts of cheap energy unless you literally buy a dam. Yeah. And that's fine, but you're still not going to be 25% of the Bitcoin network. <laughs> I believe we're almost 10 months to the date of the first time you came on this podcast, and then you gave Bitcoin a 5% chance of becoming uh, <laughs> successful in the I, long run. You know, I think... Is that higher or lower at this point? Uh, it's a little bit higher. Um, I, because of the failure of 2x yeah i think through 2x through all of that drama and all of that noise um was really positive for kind of setting a precedent of how bitcoin should be governed so i'm working on a opinion piece that i guess i'll, I'll go ahead and tease i'm working on an opinion piece right now that's kind of um a retrospective on, on the last 10 years of bitcoin um that includes a kind of a discussion of like look this whole you know segwin activation in spite of core like most bitcoin core contributors being relatively strongly against the method of activation bit 148 bit 148 plus the seg signal initial 2x uh segwit part mm -hmm. and it only happening when kind of everyone got to claim they won. Yeah. Yeah, so you have your uh, miners and businesses claiming that it was only because of 2x that it activated. And you've got a bunch of very vocal Twitter users and Bitcoin users who are claiming that it only activated because of BIP148. And it, like, it finally activated when everyone kind of was in favor of it activating and got to claim they won. And then also the failure of the second half of 2x, the hard fork, <laughs> That got called off in spectacular fashion. Off by one. So off close. By one. Yeah, you know. So eh, close. It happens. Bugs happen, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but just like the politics around 2X, the hard fork part of 2X failing, really cemented the kind of social consensus around how Bitcoin should be governed in a way that sets it apart from all of the other cryptocurrencies in exactly the way that I wanted to see happen mm -hmm. for Bitcoin. You know, there are many other cryptocurrencies. If you don't like that, you can go use uh, BCH or you can go use any one of these other ones, and that's fine. But Bitcoin is governed in a much more unique way. And that, that really makes me happy to see as it, it generates confidence in the long term yeah. in, in the next generation of Bitcoiners still being able to use Bitcoin in the way that we love and not just us right? yeah no well um you've had a long week i told you it would only be 15 minutes we're at 15 <laughs> minutes um i'm gonna go take a nap yeah go take a nap uh thank you for coming on thank you yeah. uh for your work on core as always um and yeah that's Cheers. it that's it we're gonna go find another guest downstairs right. awesome deuces What's up, you freaks? Still here in Riga, sitting in a room that looks like somebody might have been tortured in at some point mm -hmm. back in the day. A lot of wires, a lot of hanging wires. Uh, somebody very interesting with me right now, somebody I'm fascinated with because uh, of the way he exploded onto the Twitter and Medium uh, scene with the, with, over the course of the last six months in particular. But uh, this person also just got into Bitcoin about 10 months ago, less than a year ago. And the pace at which he has uh, caught up to speed with uh, sort of what's going on in Bitcoin and 
everything else in the whole landscape of cryptocurrencies fascinates me. I want to introduce you all to Hasu. Hasu, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Money. Thanks for coming on, man. So let's jump into this. Let's talk about your history for a little bit. So you're, you were a poker player, correct? Yeah, that's right. How long were you playing poker? 10 years. 10 years? Every day? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah? Um, why were you playing poker for 10 years? How'd you get into poker? Well, it was a ho- hobby at first, right? Like everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to make money with it. And yeah. Okay. Eventually it got professional. Yeah. What's it like being a professional poker player? Is it a fun profession? Would you recommend it? No, definitely not. <laughs> Why not? I mean, it's it's fun for a few select people, right, who can make money with it, but yeah. it's a grind for like 99% of the rest. Yeah. So you're considered one of the top enchilada poker players? Uh, yeah, it says so, yeah. Wow. I'm honored, honored to be speaking with you. Nah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so back to Bitcoin. Um, again, I'm fascinated. So what I want to get out of this podcast uh, for you freaks out there especially if you're newer to cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in general, I, w- I wanted to talk to Hasu is because again, like I said in the intro, um, fascinated with the pace at which you got caught up to speed and, uh, or sort of like you've written, co-written some pr- prolific pieces most recently in the last two months with Nick Carter. Um, who else did you write the second one with? So I had two articles with Nick. Yeah. And two with Alexander Liger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this framework for yeah the mental framework yeah for evaluating cryptocurrency yeah and how to think about yeah, the if, they, if they can become valuable yeah and the fact what, that you wrote that one in particular no. ten months in is fascinating so what I want to get out of this podcast again is how did you learn so fast uh, mm-hmm. what were the resources that you used mm-hmm. and what uh, sort of was your routine and mm-hmm. and how were there any particular resources or people mm-hmm. in particular mm-hmm. that sort of put push you in the right direction. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, let's just elaborate on that. Okay, sure. So, I mean, the most important thing is there's no substitute for hard work, I think, for putting in just a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And I've always been like an obs- obsessive person. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's how you become a good poker player as well. And you just, for me, it's all about immersion. So you, if you pick a topic that's interesting to you, I mean, not everyone has like this obs- obsessive kind of personality mm-hmm. who can enjoy looking at the same topic every day and still find it interesting. Mm-hmm. But for me, that's the case. So after I was, was done with poker, I I had Bitcoin on my list for a while because I, I had the feeling there was something interesting there. But the same reason that that made me good at poker was the reason that I usually I don't look at other stuff that could be a distraction. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I want to think that that's one of the reasons why I didn't get interested earlier. Mm-hmm. But when I did, I eventually made a full transition mm-hmm. to Bitcoin and I just um, started reading, listening, watching, like bit- Bitcoin-related stuff yeah. all day pretty much. So how did you find the best resources? How, how, what was your filter um, <clears throat> in your filtering process? So, well, in Bitcoin, when I got into, I wouldn't even say Bitcoin because it wasn't about Bitcoin in the beginning. It was just the crypto space, okay? Mm-hmm. So um, I had, was under the impression that there was an incredibly poor signal-to-noise ratio. That was my first impression. Yeah, why is this? I don't know. I, I had this feeling that a lot of the information that I got was wrong or misleading and often willfully so. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I knew there was a lot of money at stake for different people, different groups of people, and they had different incentives. So I was w worried about that right from the start, pretty much, that people give you information because it makes them money. Mm -hmm. right? They have something to gain. Yeah, they have bags they're holding. Yeah, exactly. That's what <laughs> we would say nowadays, yeah. <laughs> um, so the beginning was very hard, very painful, I'd yeah. say. Just wading through so much bullshit. Um, I mean, you get into, like I had no one to guide me in the beginning, mm -hmm. I'd say. Um, I quick, like, I think the, f the first thing that helped me was finding some people who you can trust, like personalities in the space, mm -hmm. who you think they have very few, like a very, they have very high signal, very strong signal, okay? Mm -hmm. And and then workers uh, like latch on to them pretty much. Like Nick Sabo was was one, definitely th that guy for me in the beginning, mm -hmm. and it gave me a good start to like read through his entire archive, okay. like of Bitcoin related. Hit up on enumerated blog, freeze. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah, my first exposure to him was in the thing in, in the podcast with Naval. Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, yeah, the host with was? Um, Patrick O'Shaughnessy. And uh, was some uh, other guy. Some of the start startup investor, like a famous guy. Yeah, Patrick O'Shaughnessy, I think. Right? No, no, it was someone, someone else, but it doesn't matter. Jason Calacanic? No. No. I thought it was. We will find out later. We'll find out. Yeah. We'll put the link in the bio. Yeah. I mean, the that podcast was really good. I mean, that, that's what Naval and uh, and Nick got together to explain cryptocurrency, mostly focused on Bitcoin and Ethereum to this to the host of the podcast mm -hmm. like talking to a complete beginner and he, yeah. he had all the beginner questions that i would have had in his position so it was very helpful and from from that from there i found nick's blog mm -hmm. and then let's run to that and yeah you need to like filter start filtering like radically removing noise yeah. i think from the space so i followed like a thousand people in the beginning mm -hmm. on twitter on twitter especially twitter, twitter is like hands down the best resource yeah to learn about crypto like everything happens on twitter that's what i realized pretty soon um you just you just see like what people did nick engage with for example mm -hmm. who which people does he follow which people does he talk to especially that's another thing that i found extremely helpful on Twitter, you have this feature that you can get a notification for everything someone writes. Mm -hmm. Not only their tweets, but also their responses that wouldn't show up in your feed normally unless you follow like both persons who are in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Th I did that very excessively. I still do that today. So when I want to, I want to learn how someone thinks. I, who's active on Twitter a lot, mm -hmm. then you just yeah, you activate notifications for them. Okay. And then you get notified. I've never done this. Dude, it's so good. <laughs> Seriously, you should try. <laughs> then you get, I mean, you, you can't do this for too many people at the same time. Just yeah. one or two, okay? And then you just get notified for every single thing they write. Mm -hmm. And you just like... <laughs> <laughs> just stalk them? Yeah, just stalk every single conversation <laughs> that they have. And like eventually you have a mental model of them in your head mm -hmm. like what kind of what kind of person they are yeah um how they think how they would respond and then i mean you keep them in your head you carry them with you mm -hmm. okay so i have a mental model of nick sable in my head just from following him for two months 
on Twitter and reading every single word that he said, every single response and the response to that and, you know, yeah. basically stalking the whole conversation. <laughs> and, and now I have a small Nick Sable in my head, you know, who, who I can ask if I have a question he would answer. Yeah. Okay, for example. It's a great way to frame a mental model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's from, from um, a book. I'm terrible at remembering names, but... Uh, so Napoleon, do you know this? No. Napoleon, someone. Napoleon Bonaparte. No, some some other guy. Um, I linked to the the book as well, but he had this idea originally. It was like the the author of that book followed like uh, the most um, the, the most important uh, people, the most successful people mm-hmm. in the world. I can interview them, basically der- derived lessons how to become successful. That's the idea of the book. And one core idea for him was that, that oh, I think that's the only one idea that I remember from the book, but mm-hmm. I think it's very valuable, is to have like this consortium of people in your head yeah. that you can talk to, basically, who are your advisors mm-hmm. in, for everything. And I have this. Uh, I, I, that's, I totally adopted that. And it was very hard before I went on Twitter. I mean, I had, I st- there was one person in particular in poker was a close friend of mine who I respected a lot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I had this mental model of him in my head. Yeah. So because, but but it was only possible because I had spent a lot of time talking to him, yeah. learning how he would respond and think about various things, you know. So I could ask him even if he's not present. But it was it's hard for people who who don't know very well, mm-hmm. and that's where Twitter comes in so big yeah. that you can follow, you get notified. You know, for everything, everything basically, just you you start following them around. You become like their little helper. You know, <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> yeah, th- that was extremely helpful. I did it for Nick, and I did it for like I don't know, thirty, forty other guys yeah. over time. Yeah. And when I felt like there was, there wasn't much new information from one guy, then I moved to the next. Okay. Yeah. So you sort of get a, a complete understanding of how their mental mm-hmm. frameworks work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you move move on to the next Exactly. One. Yeah. I mean some people you you start discarding discarding pretty quickly if you learn how they think. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely some of those <laughs> yeah. uh, in the space. Why would you discard them? Is it inconsistency, just dumb ideas or Yeah, lots of like virtue signaling, mm-hmm. you know, just think things that they don't mean just yeah. because it looks good. You, you want to cut through that bullshit so hard. Yeah. Like you want to you want brutal honesty mm-hmm. like if you learn that's that's like a very important idea, I think. Yeah, no, it's a, a very important idea. Uh-huh. Um, laying the facts out and just being pure, <coughs> mm-hmm. uh, getting the pure information and, and yeah. what is actually happening. Oh, and don't, like if you start out on crypto Twitter, there's so much wrong information. You have to, um, I don't do this anymore, but I think it was very helpful in the beginning to start blocking people very aggressively. So really? yeah, whenever someone posted any, like even people I respected before, if they posted any reference to technical analysis, I would block them instantly. Okay, <laughs> just because there was so much information, I knew I wouldn't miss like anything from someone who believed in technical analysis. Mm-hmm. Like now, I know some people who can do technical analysis yeah. and who have like a mental model that works about that. But those are not the people who give advice about technical analysis on Twitter. Okay, mm-hmm. so <laughs> <laughs> that. You have you have to find some ways to reduce this universe of like hundred thousand people on crypto Twitter mm-hmm. to 
200, 300, maybe 500 people who can who you can follow and read everything of and consume everything of. Yeah. And you have to find a way to do it. And that was one way for me. Like people who talk about price blocked. Okay. Yeah. Talk, people who talk about TA blocked. Mm -hmm. Like especially if it's like like irrational in either direction. If it's like irrationally pessimistic or irrationally optimistic. Okay. Giving some like instructions here. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> so how long did it take you to to build the confidence to sort mm -hmm. of join the conversations on Twitter? Oh, I tried. I tried that from the beginning. Yeah. You don't. You have. You can't be afraid to be wrong. Mm -hmm. Like if you say something, get corrected. That's a very, very valuable learning experience. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. I mean, you expose yourself definitely, and it's scary, but where it helps is being synonymous right or anonymous yeah. so you have nothing to lose right you start as an out as a nobody and you can just start engaging with people's ideas mm. you know and write your own ideas in response so that that's where like pseudonymity i think helps tremendously yeah you don't bring the baggage of your past life you know mm -hmm. you yeah th that's so so important i think no that's uh no and again it is it is very important because that mm -hmm. gives you the confidence to interact and mm -hmm. then it's a meritocracy. It's yeah. a meritocracy of ideas and you've quickly climbed the mountain of this mount meritocracy. Ah, well, yeah, I, th I definitely say it's a meritocracy Yeah, on Twitter and especially in the Bitcoin, in the, mm -hmm. in the Bitcoin universe. Yeah. Yeah. So beyond like you being in the space, uh, and being interested in Bitcoin right now, like, is, is there, are you driven ideologically? Like you're, uh, mm -hmm. by sound money or mm -hmm. censorship resistance or sovereign <coughs> money? Um, well, in the beginning, I had no... I had some ideas, like, why it could be valuable, mm -hmm. but I was... I mean, I was attracted by the same stuff that many people still believe in today. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I know, Fed Protocol thesis was a big, was a big deal, you yeah. know? And like ICOs, like democratizing finance, all this kind of stuff. I mean, you have no mental model to prove that wrong yeah. if you start out. Okay, so I participated in a couple of ICOs and I bought a bunch of shit coins. And then like only while learning, like I was, luckily I was able like to separate like the financial aspect and the learning aspect. So <laughs> I could... I could draw a line between that and, and when I learned something then I made changes to my portfolio. I, I only put a small, very small part of my total portfolio into crypto anyway. Yeah. But I ended up reducing I wouldn't say I'm a Bitcoin maximalist like by some kind of ideology or something, but I just started removing everything that didn't make sense and Bitcoin is the only thing like I'm totally convinced that Bitcoin is the only thing that remains if you follow this process. So yeah, let's jump into your piece with Alexander where you did the mental framework. <laughs> okay. So how did you come to this conclusion sort of? We both had no idea. Like that's how all my pieces start out. Like except like one or two, we had like a, a, a message that we wanted to convey. Mm -hmm. Th that, was, that was the case in, in just one or two articles. And all the other ones it was, uh, hey, do you know about this topic? Like, okay, if you find someone who's also interested in working together with you and just <laughs> learning together, yeah. like social learning is like the way that I learn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't sit down and like read. I mean, I can read for a few hours, but I can't read alone every day. No. 
Like it's not, I don't think, like maybe some people can, but I can. You need to bounce so, ideas off people. Totally, exactly. Yeah, yeah. To constantly challenge each other, and bounce ideas. And so when I want to learn about a new topic, I find someone <coughs> either who, who already knows about it, who I respect and who can like mentor me, mm -hmm. or even if it's only for a few days. Yeah. But like this mentor and master um, model. Mentor, mentee. M yeah, well, yeah, whatever it's called. Yeah, it's super helpful. So yeah, definitely like mentor other people who want to learn mm -hmm. and become mentored you know yeah, yeah it's constantly look for people who can teach you so but in most articles was the the case that i i looked for someone who was on my level mm -hmm. and who was also struggling to learn about a certain concept and in the example of this um, valuation framework we both had were intellectually um, or like on a subconscious level, we were completely convinced that it doesn't like m tokens cannot accrue value unless they are being used as money. Mm -hmm. But we couldn't explain it in a way that was satisfying to us. Mm -hmm. And that started, I don't know, a three weeks process where we tried to argue from first principles why it's impossible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and let's talk about sort of walk us through mm -hmm. this uh, thought experiment in particular because you start out with like a very very mm -hmm. wide view of a token economy and, and mm -hmm. basically narrow it down to the, the only way this works yeah. if it's, if I mean it's I money. don't have all the premises in my head right now because it's a yeah. couple we don't, have to, we don't have to touch yeah. on all of them but we can yeah I mean the, the, the first idea was like make a draw a comparison to between a decentralized protocol and like a, a company you know mm -hmm. something where value is uh I mean, yeah, that pretty much we, de we dove into that in the second article because we f thought it wasn't sufficiently worked out in the first one. There were still some holes in the logic there. That's where we made the second article that showed like exactly the difference between a decentralized protocol and a company and that, they are, that you, the company c uh, has to create value mm -hmm. but also capture it. Okay. Um, exactly. Yeah. And... I think in the in the first um, in the first one we uh, we well we we walked through like what needs to happen for the price to go up, mm -hmm. for example, and um, we showed that like if tokens are only used as working capital to basically held for a short time, then there's no there can never be like sufficient pressure on the price to. Upward to pressure make it go up, yeah, and that in turn makes like the protocol itself insecure, and like the, you can never have this virtual virtual cycle that you have in Bitcoin, you know, where the price goes up, protocol gets more secure, and so on. Yeah. So yeah, protocols need to be removed. Uh, protocols uh, tokens need to be removed permanently from circulation. Mm -hmm. um, they need to be held. I think VJ called it like <laughs> in reserve or whatever, but um, they need to be held by people. Like their use case needs to be holding and not using. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then you can have the sufficient uh, upwards price pressure to make these tokens investable. I'm going to turn them into money. So that's that's another mm -hmm. thing I like to expound upon. Oh, yeah, it? that was the second part, right? Yeah. it's uh, Why only one money token is going to yeah. accrue any significant value. Yeah. And another thing that gets lost on people is that it's going to mm -hmm. take time for this to become money. Like, yeah. And we are in the price discovery phase. Mm -hmm. Um so 
even though Bitcoin's very volatile right now, people mm-hmm. are holding. Mm-hmm. Holding's okay. Yeah. Uh, dive into why holding's okay. Because this has been a terrible meme um, that's been propagated. I think I want to take a step back because at this point, I realized like how valuable it was that I learned at least a little bit about Austrian economics. Okay. Be- um, like I had zero exposure to it um, in the beginning when I started out in crypto. But I, I realized that like people in the space were attracted to it, so I had to at least check it out. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, started learning about it. And at the same time, or a little bit later, I took also like an online course, mm-hmm. like a MOOC. A MOOC? A yeah. MOOC a on microeconomics. And um, they both worked like very well together because like, if you're arguing about tokens, about money, about networks, I mean, you, you have to have a model how actors are going to behave mm-hmm. you know what's rational for them how they're going to be how they're going to behave on their own or in groups and you know just what kind of behavior can you expect from them and um in the example of money i think that was very very helpful because you can i mean in the case of money you can that's exactly what Austrian economics is about like looking at what the individual is doing yeah um and not some kind of aggregates, you know. Yeah. Arguing from some, from statistics, but you you isolate one economic actor, mm-hmm. and you can do that for like everyone in the economy. But everyone has their own incentives, and, and it's their own agent. Mm-hmm. And um, in in the example of money, I don't know. I, like I know which money I would accept as payment. Yeah. Like I, which and which money I would want to hold, and which one I wouldn't hold. And it's it's of course the 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 biggest, most liquid, most saleable one. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, I mean, I, I know that it's rational because I went through the process. <laughs> I bought a ton of shit coins <laughs> who are like all inferior forms of money and I started discarding them one by one by one until one money remains. And I mean, maybe I went through the process faster than other people, but I'm convinced that they will eventually go through the same process. And that's mm-hmm. why I believe that all monies will collapse into one. Yeah. And uh, that's sort of, the ethos of the newsletter of the bent and mm-hmm. this podcast is to try to help uh, speed up that process. And I think this conversation in particular is very, very enlightening. Will be very enlightening for some people. Oh, if you don't follow Marty, Marty's bent newsletter, <laughs> I have to give a huge shout out to him <laughs> oh, because uh, it was the first newsletter that I followed. And for the first, I don't know, three to four months, it was the only one that I followed. Thank you. Um, I, I, did, I tried following many of them, but I just unfollowed them relatively quickly. And this was the only one that I was I was sub to the entire duration, and when I yeah when I started out I I ran one episode, but then I I thought okay I can't wait like <laughs> can't <laughs> wait until tomorrow so I went on your own page and read the last fifty ones in a row. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, humbled that it helped you out. I mean, uh, I had an effect on your learning experience. It's it totally did, to man. And uh, you also this is like a huge example about how learning works i think um mm-hmm. because you're like a perfect example of that and like a, a great example for the community because you have to incentivize yourself to learn mm-hmm. like you have to learning you have to learn learning is not always fun you know no. i mean b- being rewarded is fun but learning doesn't always result in rewards mm-hmm. so you have to create your own incentive loop you know yeah. your own your own kind of process that rewards you for learning and twitter is it's just Twitter is one fantastic way because if you learn about something, 
then you can, you know, tweet it out, you yeah. know, and people like it, you know, retweet it. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's addicting. totally, it's addicting. <laughs> and even like when you get to a certain point, then you can also write an article about it. Like mm -hmm. even if it's a very short one, just write about a topic that you learned about and then put it out. And then other people will say, wow, I learned something. Thanks for what helpful. That's one outcome. And it's, it feel, I can only say it feels incredibly rewarding. Mm -hmm. And the other outcome is like, hey, um, good effort, but you missed like this and this and this and this. And, that's and then it's also rewarding because you just... You know, a bit. you just learn more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you have to you have to love learning, but you can definitely stimulate the process by getting into a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. Again, thank you for the kind words. Uh, no, but that has the the newsletter is a, a feedback loop for me. It is not fun mm -hmm. getting up early and writing that every day, but it is uh, worth it. I think. I um, mean, yeah, you always tweet about it as well, and then you get a lot of likes, yeah. retweets, and comments every day. Yeah. And that gotta be rewarding, right? And I'm not always right. Uh -huh. the newsletter to me is like really raw i just write it i don't even read it before i hit submit i uh -huh. just write it's a free flow of consciousness and then hit yeah. submit and uh see what people think but that's the best way yeah like you you can't polish until you're totally satisfied yeah like, ain't nobody got time for that no ain't nobody got time for that yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah you have to expose yourself right? get your ideas out there like let your ideas speak for you Propagate, and, yeah yeah and be evaluated by others you know and if they suck then yeah you're gonna gonna get criticized but <laughs> you're gonna do ne better next time mm -hmm. you know like yeah. being criticized is of course very yeah you gotta very have important i don't want to say you have to have thick skin but you just have to be open to constructive criticism uh -huh. which is uh which is something you should be open to in all forms of life mm -hmm. not, not only bitcoin yeah um all areas of life all forms mm -hmm. of life shouldn't be you shouldn't be uh constructively criticizing other animals or anything like that mm -hmm. um yeah so probably got like five minutes left here mm -hmm. like beyond all the resources you just described mm -hmm. is there anything else that helped massively or so uh, what i struggled the most with was because i'm not i'm not technical okay mm -hmm. so what i struggled the most with was understanding how bitcoin works on a protocol level okay. like the ins and outs uh that was definitely like I have a I have a better intuitive feeling for economic concepts logic mm -hmm. than anything technical so I think my process could be helpful for some people because what I do when I, when I learn about something that I don't really understand is I don't force myself to learn from a certain source so I've ordered two different books to try to learn about Bitcoin and I'm not too I'm not ashamed to admit that they went totally over my head and I found it incredibly dry and boring and mm -hmm. I didn't didn't give a shit yeah okay so I put them down and yeah that's what happened to the first book and I bought the second book and I tried again and again it didn't feel like it didn't feel interesting or rewarding to mm -hmm. learn about Bitcoin yeah so I kept I knew I had this like urgent feeling that it's important you know um, so I looked for different sources and I listened to like an audio book about it, like some, some, some kind of recording. Mm -hmm. And then I eventually read through some more articles and then eventually found a, um, a YouTube video that explained it like in, a, in an animated way, but really slowly and metho 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 methodically. Methodically. Yeah. 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 And, um, and that's 
when it started like i didn't grasp it mm -hmm. right away but that's when it started like working and then i like for each i don't know minute of the video i i wrote it down mm -hmm. what i thought was how it worked you mm -hmm. know and what like the, the the video was 40 minutes but i don't spend like eight hours going <laughs> through the video it. again Holy and again shit. just yeah damn and now it feels more intuitive to me yeah you know well your dedication to learning is inspiring yeah but i, I mean it took forever <laughs> right to find one source that was even acceptable so don't be afraid to discard sources Mm -hmm. don't force yourself to read boring stuff yeah, read boring stuff i mean there's so much stuff out there that you will eventually going to find something that speaks to you yeah. it was the same in poker like many concepts didn't click for me the first 10 times that i read it mm -hmm. and then i found like then someone said the very same thing explained the very same concept but in a slightly different way and suddenly it clicked yeah and it's not about forcing yourself to understand it the first 10 times but just keep going eventually you find a one explanation that really works for you and that really clicks for you because everyone is different mm -hmm. yeah everybody comes to these understandings from different paths yeah everyone has like different prior knowledge you yeah. know and everyone's brain is working differently yeah yeah like i'm more of an audio and visual uh -huh. learner uh, yeah i hate reading yeah oh me too man yeah. yeah i listen to like that's that's something else that i did like listen to three podcasts a day mm-hmm just while doing random stuff, you know, that's why podcasts are so awesome. That's, yeah, that's what, it's, I'm lucky to work from home where I can just, yeah. Doing workout, in bed, yeah, just while doing the dishes and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. All right, well, it's been enlightening. We're exactly a half hour in now. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, dude. Thanks for having me. Uh, it was my pleasure. I think uh, the freaks are going to like this one. <laughs> Peace and love.